Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. My name is Claire and of course you've come to the right place if you are looking for your weekly dose of half an hour of science uh, channeling straight into your ears, I believe. This week on the show, like every week, we have Chris and we have Stu. Hello, Chris. Hello, Stu. Hello, Claire. Hi, Claire. Now, I believe, uh, Chris, you've got quite an interesting story for us this week. Well, you know, I hope it's interesting, Claire, but, um, (laughs) you know, I'm going to keep with your, inspired by your comment about ears. Hang on. Yeah, you said, you know, get like science into your ears. Oh, yeah, straight into your ears. Yeah, Yeah, okay, okay. I'm doing a seamless segue that has to be explained in great detail. Okay, fantastic. Um, Yeah, okay. I'm going to talk about a creature that's known for its ears. Oh, um... Known for their ears. Rabbits? No, no. I'm not going to make you guess all the animals in the in, in the world that have ears. This is the koala. Okay. All right. So, I mean, so, I would say noses, cute noses more than ears. But uh, come anyway. Come on. They have the cutest ears around. <laughs> they, they have do. very adorable noses and you can put your spoon on your nose, turn to koala. Let's not forget that. But we've talked about koalas a few times in the past and the various threats and possible solutions to those threats. And I wanted to just talk about a, I guess, a major development that happened a couple of weeks ago when the federal government officially declared that koalas are now endangered in mm. Queensland and New South Wales and the Australian Capital Territory. Um, so yeah, this is a major development. I wish one we should have seen coming because mm. they were declared vulnerable 10 years ago in 2012. And so that was the chance apparently to save the koala. And here we are 10 years later and we are further down the track. So, yeah, not looking great. So I'm going to have a bit of a look at what the issues are, um, kind of impact the koalas and the, I suppose, the simple yet politically difficult measures that are needed to protect them. Excellent. Well, um, a pretty, pretty devastating situation with the koalas, but um, hope that there um, is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel there. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to drop bears from our um, national kind of ecosystems. That's the spirit, Chris. And yeah. Stu, what do you have for us this week? Well, uh, I've I've been looking into, uh, you know, people spend a lot of money on their health and a lot of people, well, people spend a lot of money on things that they think will make them more healthy. And I have been looking into one specific thing. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it is something that millions of people take probably every day, um, which is very likely not to have any uh, directly positive effects on their health, but they think it's doing them good. Um, but also, I, I've read a, a quite gross uh, thing about this health uh, beneficial, supposedly beneficial health supplement that people take, um, which would put me off even if I did take them, which I don't because I don't take supplements, which I'm not told to take by a medical professional. But yeah, that is that is what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about something that millions of people are taking, which is 
pretty gross and also has larger implications about the ecology of the world and, you know, resource use on the planet and all sorts of other Mm. issues associated with it. Interesting. You're going to leave us in suspense. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to listen to the story to find out. Wow. I told you what mine was about. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah, but I... Well, if you're taking something a little bit gross on a daily basis, then you might want to tune in because Stu's got some very important um, information for you. All right, on with the show. Yes, you listen to Lost in Science, and I am talking about the an animal you might have heard of, are you familiar with the koala? The koala bear? Sorry, not actually a bear, but, you know, I just had to. Well, yeah. actually, so the koala, I'm talking about the koala, the, um, the Phascolactos cinereus is the scientific name. Um, Phascolactos is the genus name, and that actually means pouch bear. So right. it okay. is kind of, you know. Yeah, just because it's named that in Latin doesn't mean, mean it is, though. But, yeah. but te- technically... <laughs> Technically not a bear because they're from the carnivores in the placental mammals. And obviously the koala is a marsupial. It is indeed. It is closely, pouch. It is closely related to wombats. In fact, it's in the wombat family um, or the vombatidae family, which I, mean, I enjoy saying vombatidae. Once you think about that, that yeah. like koalas are just sort of upright wombats that live in trees. You can't, you can't stop thinking about that. They're, they're tree wombats, basically. They're tree wombats. Yeah. Well, that eat leaves. If I could, if I could blow your mind for a second here, you know, I was looking up some stuff about evolution of these this particular family of of marsupials, and it seems like they might have originally been in the trees, all of them. And so, in a way, wombats are ground koalas. <gasps> wombats are koalas that just. Yeah. Stayed on the ground. We don't really say well, that no. so much because koalas are kind of like, they're a very kind of unique branch of the particular family. But they, yeah, they're all believed to have once been in the trees. They're all arboreal. Arboreal indeed, arboreal. Stu. I mean, yeah. clearly some of them were too big, like the diprotodons, which were the giant mm. um, kind of prehistoric wombats. They were, would not go in a tree. Um, but the marsupial lions, you know, they, um, mm. they would have jumped out of trees onto people. Or other animals, potentially. Or other animals, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a drop bear in the actual kind of a drop bear giant, kind of a drop bear and you know there um there were like there was a a giant koala you know a long time ago that was i don't know probably about twice the size of the modern koala but, right um yeah koalas are kind of just yeah a unique member of the the wombat family and they used to be very abundant in australia as with most kind of species here they were hunted for their fur in large numbers uh, there's only like 2 million pelts were sent overseas by 1924 or something like that. Oh um, my God. You've seen pictures, probably seen pictures of trucks laden high with koala fur. Yeah. Yeah, but they are, of course, becoming increasingly rare, as the, the recent announcement about them being endangered would suggest. Now, the obvious question um, to ask is how many koalas are there? I mean, how many the koalas obvious, are there? The obvious question is how much can a koala bear, but we're not going to answer that one. Um <laughs> How many koalas? Are there? The answer to the how many koalas question is we don't really know. They're actually hard to count. 
because they're kind of elusive hiding trees. So yeah, we don't have accurate measures of the of the numbers. So a lot of this is estimation. Um, there was an exercise done in 2016, apparently, where they got some a panel of experts to try and work out koala numbers. And this was this was a few years ago. This is obviously, and try and work out how much the the, the populations had changed as well. So at the time, they estimated the total number of Australia, koalas in Australia was about 329,000, but it could be as high as 600,000 or as low as 140,000. But they had declined a lot in parts of Australia. So they had gone down by 53% at that point in Queensland, 30, 26% in New South Wales, 14% in Victoria and 3% in South Australia. So yeah, they exist across the eastern seaboard and into slightly into um, the southeast of South Australia. So yeah, huge declines, um, mostly yeah. in um, Queensland and New South Wales. Um, they've been declared endangered in the ACT as well, but they're not actually known to be in the ACT um, from what I've been able to find. Um, guess what the biggest threats are to them? Habitat loss? Habitat loss, you're right, Claire. It's always habitat loss when we look at endangered animals, isn't it? It's like... Yeah. All the different things that can affect them. And, you know, habitat loss is the biggest thing. I mean, there's other stuff as well, of course. Um, they have diseases that affect them, you know, chlamydia, uh, one of the more embarrassing ones. The koala retrovirus, which oh, yeah. uh, is a pretty serious one. Um, climate change also is its own kind of unique threat mm. uh, in many ways. Earlier, And in also, this... I guess, a, a compounding threat on top of the other threats on top of things like habitat loss it is all these things are connected all these things are connected yeah Yeah, i mean recently we had the bushfires that you know they were kind of influenced by climate change of course the major bushfires in 2020 and that led to the death of thousands of koalas um there was uh heat waves and droughts earlier in this century that also killed a lot of koalas they were found coming into suburban backyards you know drinking from swimming pools that sort of thing because they were just so dehydrated and uh out of out of water and food so yeah the temperature changes do can affect them directly but like you're right claire it's kind of a compounding thing and everything is sort of connected but yeah it's a habitat clearing that is the main issue that is at fault it seems and it's a hugely controversial thing. Like, we know that this is the main problem, but it's something that we, as a country, seem to be unable to do anything about. The issue of saving, trying to save um, land for koalas brought down, nearly brought down the New South Wales government uh, a couple of years ago. The, um, the National Party was basically trying to revolt against the, the Liberal Party within the coalition there. It led to the murder of an environmental compliance officer over land clearing regulations. This is something that is, there are very heated opinions about it. And, you know, returning to the idea of climate change, for instance, it's frustrating because it's also, we know it's a major driver of carbon emissions. So, you know, we have extra reasons to be doing something about it. You know, we we at the recent COP26 conference is one of the things that Australia was kind of on on bat on our report card was our record on, on land clearing. Um, and if that wasn't bad enough, you know, it's the major problem of koalas as well. Which, again, is frustrating because koalas are supposed to be the species that we care about the most, I guess. Yeah, and if that's how we treat them. They're a pretty, they're a pretty iconic species. Everyone, you know, from anywhere in the world would associate, you know, if you said you're Australia, they would think of koalas and, you know, possibly kangaroos as well. But Yeah, yeah. And they, they are given a lot more funding than other threatened species. You know, let's be honest about this charismatic species and particularly the mega charismatic species like the koala are given special treatment which is why you know the government recently announced 50 million dollars to try and support koalas 
Um, and it's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. It's a lot more than other species are getting. I know, but still. Uh, and in some, areas, in some areas, it is seen as a fair bit of money. And there's some bits where it comes up short, but there's a lot of stuff that is actually, yeah, is quite a large amount of money for this kind of initiatives. It's thousands of dollars per koala, isn't it? Well, if you could find a way to actually give it to the koalas. Um, look, I guess we could debate about whether it's a lot of money or not. A lot of people commenting on do seem to think that it is a fair amount of money. The thing is, it is insufficient because the the money is kind of irrelevant at this point. It is the it is the policies about the um, the land clearing that's the main issue. You know, we don't need to put millions of dollars into as much as we need to stop cutting down trees, essentially. And this is something that the state and federal governments have been doing really bad on. Um, at the same time that the, the government made its big announcements, the Australian Conservation Foundation released their reports on their research on um, approvals of 25,000 hectares, more than 25,000 hectares um, of koala habitat that has been cleared for clearing since the species was declared vulnerable um, 10 years ago. So, and 61% of that was, um, was to allow for mining projects. 12% was for transportation corridors and 11% was residential housing. So, but yeah, mining was one that was the biggest one there, which I guess you know, could say is also climate change coming back to bite us, you know, us digging, wanting to dig up coal. We are killing the koalas directly so that we can do that. So yeah, that's the frustrating thing is that we know what the solution is. We just need to be able to, uh, to act on it and... It's concerning that if we can't do that measures for koalas of all species, you know, what chance do other threatened species have? You know, we do have we do have some indications, you know, we know that with the changing climate we know what areas we can model what areas are going to be best to protect for for koalas. So there is a lot of work being done on that. It is then just still a matter of the legislation that's needed to protect those areas and make sure the koalas can can move into them if they need to. I think we're lost. We're not lost. Not even any short-range radio signals yet? Except for a single, very powerful, radio emission. Of course, a transmitter of that sort isn't exactly standard equipment. The science and technology must be absolutely mind-boggling. Of course, that's uh, it's mostly on the theoretical side. What's so far? Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. People spend a lot of time worrying about their health and they also spend a lot of money uh, buying things they think will improve their health from gym memberships to activewear and, of course, supplements. Uh, And according to recent surveys, over 8 million Australians spend almost $2 billion a year on dietary supplements, including... Well... As a collective group. Yes. That includes vitamins and minerals along with other substances. One of the dietary supplements that's got a lot of press in the last couple of decades is omega-3 fatty acids. And the most commonly used supplement version of that is fish oil. Mm. Uh, And I was reading about fish oil recently. I saw a report that showed possibly 10% of fish oil supplements are actually rancid. So so I decided to look into fish oil and why people might want to take it in the first place or why they do take it, why they think it's good for them. Can you Um, explain what is what is rancid and is it why is it a bad thing? Well, you know, if if you've got uh, a fresh product 
say, oil of some description. and it or, ox- or butter. Butter can go. Butter can go. Ran- mostly, mostly oils. When oils go off, they are going rancid and it, it's oxidizing the oils. So it is actually changing the chemical composition of the oil and it changes the smell and the taste of that particular oil when it goes rancid. Right. And I, I, one of the things I was interested in, I took part in a study a couple of years ago to find out uh, I wasn't running the study. I was a... Guinea pig. Guinea pig. Yes, exactly right. To find out whether fish oil supplements help prevent optic deterioration. And I was given a big container full of yellow translucent pills, which I had to take uh, over the course of the study. Uh, and they kept doing things to my eyes and checking if my eyes were falling apart or dropping off my head or whatever. And obviously it was a properly controlled study and I wasn't supposed to know if they were fish oil capsules or some kind of control oil. But being curious, I cut one open to see what was inside. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. You're not supposed to do that, Stu. Yeah, they were testing independently. It wasn't my personal recollections of of the study that was important. It was what was actually happening to my eyes. So whether I knew or not would have had no effect on whether it was affecting my eyesight or... The, you know, the health of my eyes. So I didn't really worry about it. I just wanted to know, you know, it was one of those things. Have you ever cut open a golf ball just to see what's inside it? That's so as, as long as you then you didn't tell the researchers what you no, were taking no, no. or indicate no. to them, yeah. No, no, no. They, yeah, they didn't know that I'd, that I'd done that. But what happened was I cut it open to see what was inside and it smelled kind of fishy. And I guessed it was probably fish oil. Rather, I think they were using almond oil, which was the control, because um, they, uh, they had to tell us what was in the control because they had to check for allergies in case mm. anyone was allergic. So I knew what the control was. I didn't smell almondy, so I just mm. went, yeah, it kind of smells fishy, so I reckon it's fish oil. Unless the almond oil went rancid and sm- started smelling like fish. Well, that's true, but unlikely, <laughs> I, th- I think. Now, it's no surprise that fish oil smells kind of like fish, because it's made from fish. It's literally made from fish. And different uh, brands will use different kinds of fish. Mostly it depends what part of the world you're in, what kind of fish it is. Even though most of it actually gets shipped to China, gets processed in China and then shipped back out again to the rest of the world when it's actually in the form of a, of a pill. So if um, you're in Australia, this part of the world, what kind of fish might you have? It's mostly the apparently the cold climate fish like salmon and tuna are the best or have the most production of these omega-3 fatty acids which they're looking for so that's the ones they tend to use some of it's going to be farmed fish some of it's going to be wild caught fish uh, and that's an issue as well uh, that i'll come to in a minute but for anyone who's left fresh uh, left fish out of the fridge or even in the fridge for very long uh, you'll know that fish starts to smell strongly quite fast which is a result of oxidation which is one thing and also microbial activity on the surface of the of the fish but with the oil itself, the oxidation is the thing that makes it start to stink up the place. Um, anyone, uh, so fish oil processing has to be done quickly and at cold temperatures to reduce the spoiling of the oils, which is what leads to the oil going rancid, which makes it smell different and taste different to fresh, unrancid oil, basically. And a lot of companies use flavouring agents to disguise the fish taste. And a lot of it does come from, as I said, from salmon or tuna. Some of it comes from krill and other sources mm. like that. Just It just depends mm. where you are and what people actually do because it's just the oil they want. So anything that's oily, they will use that 
to get. So it doesn't have to be a fish. Doesn't yeah. have to be a fish. Yeah, krill's no. a crustacean. Yeah, that's right. So it it's just uh, it's something that is very common in mm. in all sorts of seafood. And this is the thing: is that a lot of people who eat seafood uh, have a high intake of omega three fatty acids anyway, because it's in a lot of different seafoods. Mm. The, the processing is easier from certain fish, which is why those are used specifically. Right. The big question is, why do people take fish oil supplements? So, fish oil contains a couple of different kinds of omega-3 fatty acids. The most important ones are Iecosapentaonic Acid. <laughs> Great. Or EPA. And Docosahexanoic Acid, or DHA. I have a question. Yeah. Do the fish actually produce those fatty acids or are they accumulating it from somewhere else in the environment? I, they, they seem to be able to make it themselves, which is interesting because we can't make these fatty acids ourselves. Right. So some, some metabolic process, they're either accumulating it from their diet, which is possible, or they're manufacturing it because, you know, different animals have different abilities to make these kind of, you know biological building blocks as well so what's the omega-3 then is that like what does that mean it's a it's a classification of fatty acids there's a whole lot of different fatty acids that we need to survive some of them we make ourselves some of them we don't the omega-3 fatty acids we don't make ourselves that's just the class of acids it is and these are just types of that omega-3 group there's a whole big group of different because some come from plants as well don't they that's right, and you can get them from other sources as well. Yeah. So, yeah, we can't make these in the body, so we need to eat them from some other source. Then if you don't get enough of them in your diet, then you could potentially get supplements. And the reason people take these supplements is that some of them seem to have some health impacts. So there's one particular reason that doctors might prescribe fish oil is due to high triglyceride levels in the blood so high triglyceride levels can lead to an increase in the risk of heart disease the omega-3 fatty acids reduce those levels and also seem to alter uh, cholesterol levels but whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is still actually not quite solid in the science some studies have found that yes it's great it, it raises your good cholesterol and other studies have said yeah it's great it also lowers your bad cholesterol so there's, there's, that's sort of still uh, up in the air a little bit. But research shows that while people who have a diet high in fish and seafood have a lower risk of heart disease, the correlation does not carry over to people who only take supplements. So people who eat a lot of fish and seafood have a lower risk of heart disease. People who take supplements of fish oil, it has no effect on their risk of heart disease. So over population-wide studies... The risks are not reduced by the supplements, even though they seem to be reduced by the dietary intake. That's a common story you hear with supplements is that, uh, in theory, they should work because we know that the the food that they derive from has health benefits, but then the supplements don't seem to have any measurable benefit. That happens across a lot of them from what I've read. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, you know, the dietitians will, will say to you, well, just eat more different foods and you'll be healthier for it. And there's a lot of other benefits from eating the foods rather than just saying, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to eat burgers and fries, but I'll take these fish oil supplements and they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not going to work that way. Um, there's also been studies on other 
potential health benefits from fish oil. Uh, evidence for blood pressure reduction from fish oil is not strong, uh, although a lot of people take it for that reason. People with only slightly elevated blood pressure show very little benefit according to the studies that have been carried out. People with very high blood pressure get some benefit, but there are other things that will lower their blood pressure more effectively, so it's not really a solution for those people. People who take fish oil for rheumatoid arthritis have also reported reductions in chronic pain symptoms, but studies to support that with double-blind evidence, as in not asking the people directly or not telling them what they're actually taking is pretty weak. So when you when you give them stuff and they don't know what it is, they're like, "Oh yeah, I feel better." And they, would, you know, the placebo group is just as as strong as the uh, the active ingredient group. Yeah, but what they do is they cut open the the capsules and see what's <laughs> in them. This is what I've heard. <laughs> well, with yeah, with things like chronic pain, it's very hard to have uh, an objective measure of how effective something is. So that that those kind of studies are quite difficult okay. in that respect as well. But basically, if your doctor tells you to take fish oil, you should take it because they've probably got a reason, and it's probably to do with your triglyceride levels. Uh, if you haven't been told to take the supplements, and that goes for you know all supplements, I think. Uh, this applies to there's not likely to be much benefit unless you've been told to take them um you're just spending money on something they're all safe to take obviously people can't sell things to be consumed that aren't safe to take but if you're not getting any benefit from it it's kind of a bit of a waste of money um but as far as the environmental impact of fish oil production uh i think that's probably a, a whole other story for another day because um the the harvesting of fish to make these fish oils uh in in some places things like uh, anchovies for example in some parts of the world the anchovies are being harvested for fish oil specifically they're being fished out because they harvest the fish so young they're too young to reproduce so the populations are actually not um replenishing themselves they're actually just getting fished out completely and it's all just for fish oil because the anchovy sales are not that high uh in, for other purposes i mean they're delicious but um, you only need a jar of anchovies will last you quite a while. But considering we can get omega-3 fatty acids from other sources, such as flaxseed, chia, walnuts, really hard to come by things like canola oil uh, and soybean oil, there's plenty available in dietary sources and it might be easier to just eat more of those anyway from more sustainable sources, certainly than from wild-caught fish and even from you know from farmed fish, which is aquaculture's got a quite a lot of problems associated with that from an environmental perspective as well. But if we just get sustainably sourced plant sources of omega three fatty acids and just eat them in our food, we don't really have to worry about taking supplements anyway, most likely. So I think what I'm trying to say is unless there's a pressing medical need for supplements, the promotion of fish oil capsules for health might not only be a little bit fishy it might be completely rotten. And that's all we have time for on another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. 
If you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at lostinsight at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter where we are Lost in Science 1 or on Facebook where we are Lost in Science on 3CR. Or you can find us wherever you found us today again next week when Claire, Stu and Chris get lost in science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.